This morning, uh, we are continuing our exploration in the Old Testament book of Proverbs in a series that we're calling Word to the Wise. And for those of you who might not be all too familiar with the Old Testament book of Proverbs, as we've said a number of times, it's kind of like the Twitter account of the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, Solomon took some of his wisest observations and his wisest advice and he put them into these succinct statements and compiled them into this collection. Well, we compiled them into this collection that we call the Proverbs. The majority of the Proverbs were written by the wisest man who ever lived, a guy by the name of Solomon. God gave him the gift of wisdom and so with his wisdom he decided, particularly as a father, I want to make sure that I deposit in my kids the art of living skillfully, which is what wisdom is. Not so much about IQ or smarts, but about the ability to make the best and most beneficial decisions in real life, in real time. And so Solomon says, I've got to pass this on to the next generation so they can benefit from it. Um, we're so thankful that in his grace, God preserved these wise words in this Twitter account and it's trickled down the generations and finds us here in Warsaw, Indiana, 2018. And we want to lean into his wisdom and learn a little bit more what it means to live skillfully, learn a little bit more what it looks like to make the best and most beneficial decisions in real life, in real time. This morning, um, we're going to benefit from Solomon's words about the unspeakable power of the tongue. The unspeakable power of the tongue. A subject he, he thought important enough that he didn't mind coming back to over and over and harping on quite a little bit. And we want to learn and glean from what he has to say. If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to spend our time um, in, in places in that chapter. Um, Proverbs chapter 18. If you don't own a copy of the scripture, hey, two things. Good news. Number one, um, we're going to have the Bible up in the sky here behind me. We're going to have the words projected on the screen so you can follow along that way. But if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, then hey, make our day by allowing us the privilege of getting one into your hands. So after the service, just head to the connection corner. There'll be smiling faces there and just let them know you need a Bible. It's our gift to you. So honored to be able to do that. But in Proverbs chapter 18, when you get to um, verse 21, you get a sense of Solomon's banner statement when it comes to the unspeakable power of the tongue. And so we want to look at what he has to say, and then we'll go and explore his thoughts a little bit more. But here's what he says, Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 21. He says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, just so there's no mistaking uh, what Solomon is talking about, uh, let's clarify uh, that when Solomon speaks about the tongue, he's not speaking so much about that 
pinkish flesh that calls your mouth um, home. He's not speaking necessarily about the physical um, tongue that is in our mouths. He's speaking about the tongue uh, in reference to the words we express. When he talks about the tongue, he's, he's referring to the words that we express. And man, hold up here for a quick second because I just want to confess something really quickly. I am so envious of those of you who might be interacting with some of these thoughts for the very first time, because can I just be honest? I miss that new truth smell. I miss that experience of discovering things for the first time as some of you might be doing, because some of the things he's saying are odd and yet incredibly compelling. And yet I'm also super thankful that the Holy Spirit is here and he has a way of taking old familiar truths and breathing new life into them. And that's my prayer for all of us who might have heard some of these thoughts before. Because here's what Solomon is announcing in this verse of scripture. He's saying, you have the power of life and death in the words that you express. You have the power of life and death in the words that you express. Now, let me say this really quickly uh, because um, very intentionally, I am saying the words you express. See, because we're super advanced people, very technologically literate, and we have graduated from simply speaking words. And so if I say the words you speak, then that will limit us way too much. No, we're super smart. We figured out ways to communicate and to express words without even speaking. We can tell people a whole story with emojis. So let's just be clear that what Solomon is talking about is the expression of words and communication. He's not necessarily nitpicking about the fact that you had to somehow use the pinkish fleshy thing in your mouth. It's the expression of words and how incredible a statement that there is the power of life and death in the things that you choose to express. You can build up life and you can tear it down with the, ch the words you choose to express. Lives can be shaped and changed and trajectories altered forever by the words that you choose to express. And I don't have to convince you, by the way, um, of the power of words. I don't have to convince you of the power of words to shape trajectory because many of us, sit, all of us sitting in this room have been built up or broken down by simple words. Words are powerful. Oh, simple things like, um, honey, I'm pregnant. You've never recovered from those words. You are still paying for those words, right? The power of those words. For some of us, our worlds have been altered by the simple words, let's just be friends. Or the words, I do. Or the words, I'm done. Or the words, I forgive you. Or the words you are so beautiful. Or the words you are so stupid. 
or the words, I, I believe in you. We are sitting here in many ways shaped by the words that have been spoken over and around us. We don't have to be convinced of the power of words to shape and to alter, to build up and to tear down. This is something we all believe. And what Solomon is going to try and convince us of is there is such power and the wisest people leverage that power most beautifully and most intentionally. The power of words. Proverbs chapter 18. Um, Solomon is going to tell us a few things that our words have the power to do. And again, centuries later, we want to lean in and listen to this man and his wisdom. Verse 4. What are some of the things our words are powerful to do? He says in verse 4, the words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. Solomon is telling us, and this is going to be key as we continue this conversation and key as we walk out of this space. He's telling us words have the power to reveal. Words have the power to reveal. Unlike almost anything else in our lives, our words have the power to bring to the surface what lies beneath. He says the words of the mouth are deep waters. That's Solomon telling us that though words might be formed quickly, they have often traveled a great distance from a deep place called the soul. They have often traveled from the epicenter of who we really Oh, um, in Hebrew thought, um, the human construct was pretty simple. Um, the human construct goes like this. We are deep souls who wear faces. That's how the Hebrew thought um, referred to the human being, the human reality. It was their way of conveying the thought that the realest you, the, the, the truest essence of who you are, the person you really, 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 really are is the soul. And then there's your appearance. It's how you show up. It's how you present. It's how you are experienced. It's what the rest of us get to see. And you all look fantastic this morning. It's what the rest of us get to interact with. Your face. We are souls who wear faces. And as you study this concept um, biblically, that is continually 
reiterated that the soul, the realest version of you, is, is deep, deep, deep down inside. In fact, when the Bible speaks about the soul, it not only speaks about the soul as something invisible, you, you can't see it, um, but it speaks about the soul as something untraceable. You can't find it. It speaks about the soul as something inaccessible. You have no idea how to get to your soul. It's really powerful the way it speaks about it. You don't know how to get to your soul. It's invisible, it's untraceable, it's inaccessible. And, and, and you know that, that we've had thousands of years since then. And with all of our technological advances, we can go to the moon and we have high-powered Hubble telescope, things that can see millions of miles away. And we have these high telescope, you know, and microscope things with which we can see the most intricate details of invisible cells. But you know the thing we've never been able to do is build some kind of MRI machine that can locate the soul. We don't even know where it is. Do you know where yours is? Where it's located in your body, like your pancreas? Your toenails? Like you don't know. And that's what the Hebrews believed, and they could have saved us a lot of time and attempts at technological advances. You can't find it. It is inaccessible. It's invisible to you. And yet it's the realest essence of who you are. And yet so compelling what Solomon then says. Your words are deep waters. Hmm. They come out from your face, but they originated in your soul. They ultimately traveled from the soul, that deep and unsearchable and inaccessible place called the real you. That's where your words come from. That's what Solomon is saying. Your words are literally messengers bringing word from your soul. This is really key for us to get. Because you cannot access your soul, but word is constantly coming from your soul to tell you what it's like down there. Hey, here's what we found down there. Jesus says it this way, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the overflow of the soul, the mouth speaks. Uh, we'll come back to this, but, you know, I was thinking about this and, and started to get carried away, as I often do, and, and found it so fascinating how John introduces us to Jesus in the New Testament book of John, John chapter 1, verse 1. Check this out. He refers to Jesus this way. He says, in the beginning was the, huh, the word, and the word Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then you jump down to verse 14, and it says, The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Ooh, this is good. I'm going to try not to get carried away, but this is it's Jesus stuff, and maybe I will get carried away a little bit, but this is so amazing, the way it's described. Jesus was the Word, it says. And the Word... Interesting choice of description for Jesus. The word was with God. And the word wasn't just with God. Apparently the word was God. The problem with that is that is nice and all. That is sweet and all. But this word that was and was with God and was God lived in an inaccessible, invisible, untraceable place that the Hubble telescope could never see, a place called heaven. The problem with living in heaven in this inaccessible place is we couldn't see him. We couldn't touch him. We couldn't know him. And God said, I don't want that to be my reality. And so he spoke on flesh and came in a language we understood, the human frame. And when we saw him, we said, oh, so that's what God is really like. See, we never knew because we couldn't see him before until he was spoken into our world in human flesh. Now we can touch him. Now we can see him. Now we can know him. I love that about the way John describes Jesus. And Solomon is saying the same thing about us. You are untraceable. Who you really are is untraceable. It's invisible. It's in many ways inaccessible. I don't really know you. And the matter of fact, you don't really know you until your words travel a great distance from this unseen place and they show up and now it's like, oh, that's what you're like. Now I can know you. Now I can see you. And now... I can interact with who you really are. This is a picture that Solomon is painting about all of us. He's trying to get us to understand who you really are, inaccessible, invisible. In fact, you don't know who you really are until your words bring word and say, hey, just so you know, this is you. The words we speak, the words we express are powerful in their ability to reveal what we wouldn't otherwise know. You can sit around and try and search your soul and try to examine yourself. But Solomon is saying, no, the words you speak, they're deep waters. They've traveled from far places and they will tell you and they will reveal to you. They will show you what you really are. You want to know who you really are at the deepest essential headquarters of you? Solomon would say, well... Um, ask your words because they know your soul. They've seen it. They were just there like three seconds ago. So, if you are what you speak, if you are what comes out of the deep waters called your soul through the words you express. Quick question, who are you? <laughs> See, because if you're like me, I like to define myself the way I want to define myself. 
And oftentimes, by the way, I like to define myself by external things. I like to define myself by face things. And Solomon will say, no, that's shallow waters. Let's talk about the deep waters where your words came from. Your words really tell you who you are. In which case, who are you really? Not who you think you are, not who you want people to think you are, not what you put on when you show up at church. Who are you really based on the things that emerge through your words? What recurring themes show up in your conversation? What things do you love to talk about? If I sat with you for a while and you sat with me for a while and we drank caffeine and and we chatted for a little bit and we got to know each other, what themes would I find you running to over and over again? Because the recurring themes and subject matter that you express, guess what? That's you. That's who you are. You cannot, no, I just love to talk about this a lot, but that's not really me. No, that's you. That really is who you are. And for some of us to look at ourselves and say, seriously, I am in my 40s and sports is me? Yeah. That's what lingers down there. That's the valuable thing. That's, that's when it's all said and done. That's what your life will have been about. And for some of us, it's worry. That's what we continue to come back to. Oh, it's politics because we somehow believe that what's happening in the political arena is going to define and shape our world. And so that's what we focus and keep coming back to. For some of us, we'll say things like, I'm just super, I like to be sarcastic, you know, often. No, that's telling you something about who you really are. It's not just a thing you say often, it's who you really are. I have little kids in my house, so food. That's what's in their souls, food, all the time. It's like where we just had lunch three minutes ago, so we're about like, okay, oh my goodness, an hour and 57 minutes from snack. You know, and so this is their life. By the way, I love this about babies. Babies aren't trying to put on a face and fake being something that they're not. They're just like food. That's all that matters. So that's what's coming out of my mouth. Now that's what's happening in my house. I just thought I'd give you guys a quick update. What comes out of you, by the way, when you're surprised? Because I think when I don't have time to kind of pretty up my my thoughts and I don't have time to kind of, you know, direct traffic that's traveling from the soul uh, to the face, um, that is often such a great revealer. Like what emerges from you when you're surprised when something happens unexpectedly? My youngest daughter, clearly um, discipled by her foolish older siblings, I came home a few days ago, and uh, I walk into the house, and obviously I'm telling you this story in retrospect, I didn't have this information ahead of time, but I walk into the house, and she's hiding in the laundry room, just like this. And then I walked by, and she said, bah! and I said, you little, now I was surprised. I did, listen, I didn't have time to clean up my stuff. I'm like, where did that come from? Your soul. I didn't know all that was down in there. I said some things. I said something. Uh, my kids have a grandparent. I'm not going to name him because he's a godly, godly man who is the most well-spoken and the most debonair believer um, that there is. And um, until one time he was, <laughs> he was working on something and he hit his thumb with a hammer. Pop! 
<laughs> the blankety blank, like the string of swear words that emerged from that godly man's mouth. I learned some things. Wrote it down. I'm opening a Twitter account. Grandpa's swear words. But um, it was hilarious because he didn't have time to polish things up. Traffic moved too quick from the soul to the face. And he said some things. What happens when you are startled? You didn't see something coming and you start to speak. And you may later on start to try and take things back. What happens to you when you're under pressure? And I'm convinced that is one of the most revealing moments when my words will speak what's in my soul, when I'm under pressure, um, when I'm hangry. Right? And you say stuff like that, like, I'm sorry, I just get this way when I'm hungry. It's a Snickers commercial every day at my house. No! Your hunger just helped to reveal, it just expedited the Audubon of traffic from your soul to your face. It just helps to expedite and reveal the stuff that's down there. When you're under pressure, what happens when you're angry or when somebody hurts your feelings and then you start to talk? What things tend to emerge? Um, I like to think I'm a pretty, like, nice, composed guy until, like, yesterday, for instance. Um, now, okay, I'm going to, sh I'm sharing way too much, confessing with my words. Um, but, he <laughs> now, in my defense, before I tell this story, let me just say this. That every call that the refs made were wrong, okay? <laughs> and number two, everything my daughter did was right. I just want to just get that out there. So you know the, the, the backdrop for this story. But I'm not even kidding you. Like, I'm sitting there. You know, it's Saturday, and I'm trying to think a little bit about, man, tomorrow we're going to be talking about the power of words, you know, um, in church. And then the ref blew his whistle. And when he did, um, a stranger um, commandeered my body <laughs> and started to say words to this striped human being. And I'm like, oh, that's not nice. And what you're saying about these other people's kids, that's not nice. Now, granted, they're not as good as my daughter. But all of a sudden, I'm saying stuff that if I were given time and a multiple choice list, I would never pick those things to say to that guy, God bless him on his day off. Or to say to these kids, God bless them, I'll probably work for them one day, right? But I was a little, and who knew that sports could bring out of my soul pieces of who I really am. So then I walk out of that place, out of the gym, and I'll start to say to my wife, like, I'm sorry, I misbehaved. My, my words got away from me. That's not me, so I need to do better. But what Solomon would say is, no, that is you. Apparently, it takes a kid's sporting event to bring it out of you, but that is you. The question is, if your words are reflections of the deep waters of your soul, who, who are you? Who are you? When you are hanging out in recreational context with the people you feel most comfortable with, who are you? What kinds of jokes do you like to tell? What do you like to say to get a ruse from people? Like, who are you? 
When you're relaxing with your favorite social media outlet, who are you? Here, quick question, by the way. If you are the average of your last five social media posts, who are you? Some of you are like, do I have time to delete right now? Delete, delete. No, no, I'm not talking about deleting or not deleting. I'm just saying what's revealed about you. Not who you picture yourself to be because you can perceive yourself in cuter tones than your words will betray as they bring word from your soul which reveals who you really are. It's a great question. And it's a great question because many of us are strangers to ourselves. And we are strangers to ourselves because when our words try and reveal to us who we really are, we send them away and say, no, that's not me. (laughs) I need to do better with what I say. And we would distance ourselves from those things. And we are denied the opportunity to get to know who we really are. And our soul is saying, this is you. And we push them off. And Solomon is saying, no, shake hands with your words. That's you. Get to know yourself. And here's one of the most significant reasons I'm harping on this and want to continue to harp on this for at least a couple more moments. It's because I believe that Jesus wants to do something beautiful and redemptive in each of our stories. Jesus wants to do something beautiful and redemptive in each of our lives. He wants to do something beautiful with each of us. Here is the problem. Jesus cannot change your face. Jesus is not going to change who you think you should be, who you try and appear to be, who you wish you were and what you know that wasn't me in the gym Jesus changed me in the car when I've turned on the worship music now deal with me Jesus is saying no 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 your soul is sending word of who you are so that you can acknowledge who you are and come to me and here's the thing about Jesus he doesn't need technology he is the shaper of the soul and has every ability to get down into the deepest wells of who we are and change the source But the reason Jesus does that is because when I get word from the source, I say, there's contamination, Jesus. There's stuff down there that I don't like. Will you change it? And Jesus will say, absolutely. The problem is many of us never get that experience because when we find out who our soul is, we say, "Mm, no, that's not me. Jesus, work with me here. And Jesus is saying, I want to change you. I want to meet you. But for many of us, we don't know ourselves or let ourselves be known by ourselves enough to present ourselves to Jesus as we really are to be changed into who he calls us to be. Listen to your words. They are an invitation to get to know yourself and ask yourself, do you like you? Or are there places Jesus might be inviting you to come And bring your brokenness to him. Who are you? Words have the power to reveal. And in the same breath, Solomon tells us that our words don't just have the power to reveal, but they have the power to refresh. They have the power to 
refresh. I don't know if you knew this, if anyone told you this this morning, but you are literally a mobile refreshing station for the people in your world. I don't know if you saw that in verse 4, the second part. Solomon says, the words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. Because our words have the power to refresh. When Solomon uses a picture of a fountain and a rushing stream, it would have conjured up in an agricultural context um, a very, very vivid picture Um, fountains and and rushing streams, that's how life was sustained in that context. If if you had a stream, then wherever that stream ran, wherever that stream meandered, it, it brought life. People thrived. People drank. Crops grew. Animals fed. If the stream was rushing... That meant that it was not running out anytime soon. So therefore, there was even a greater amount of life and vitality brought to bear because of these waters. And Solomon is saying, a wise person doesn't just let the words reveal who they really are. It, it does more than that. Because again, if, if all we ever do is just let our words reveal who we are, we run the risk of just becoming these super, you know, ingrown, self-absorbed, narcissistic, you know, introspective, constantly reflecting on ourselves. Like, what is your Enneagram number? And uh, what's your Myers-Briggs? And just we're constantly just discovering ourselves. Like, that's awesome. But Solomon would say there's a step further than that. It doesn't, not just to reveal, a wise person understands, it doesn't just reveal, my words should also bring refreshing to the world around me, to bring sustenance, to bring life wherever my life happens to go. And, and why should it surprise me that my words have the power to bring life and my words have the power to bring refreshing? I mean, this whole thing that we get to enjoy and, and live in called the universe all began because our great speaker, Father God, spoke words. And where he spoke and what he spoke, wherever his words meandered, newness was brought, life was brought about. It should not surprise me that being created in his image, he he would ask us to be many creators and that he would empower us with words to somehow bring about newness and freshness and vitality because that's what he is like. And I love the fact that his word still does that. He's still breathing life with his words. He's still bringing about newness in areas of brokenness. He's still bringing about fresh things where there has been wounds with his words. I love the way the psalmist describes um, the words of God. Psalm 19 verse 7 and 8. This is up on the screen here. 
It says the law, the word of the Lord is perfect. Amen to that. It refreshes the soul. This is what our dad is like. His statutes are trustworthy. His words, making wise the simple. Yes, please, to that. Verse 8, the precepts, again, the words of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands, again, the words of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Do you just get a sense that where his words go, he brings life and freshness and vitality, and there's a sense in which he's saying, be like me, use your words to bring life and to bring refreshing. And man, I believe this, and I want to live this more wisely, more intentionally, more beautifully in my world. Drives my kids wonky sometimes, but I believe I get to be heaven's refreshing refreshing station wherever I go. And again, it does. It makes my kids crazy. Come on, dad, let's just go. But I do. I believe that in those sacred moments, those sacred seconds at the checkout counter, when I just swooped in to the grocery store to grab one solitary item, that I have the power with my words to leave a sense of refreshing in Jessica's world, the checkout lady. I do. There's the power as I stand across from the barista at a, at a you know, coffee shop to speak words that bring refreshing to a day that I have no idea how arid it's been or how difficult it's been. I have a word, uh, an opportunity with my words to speak something encouraging, to speak something refreshing into that space, into that world. There is something so beautiful and powerful about the privilege that the Lord gives us. And I think I often miss it, but I believe this is true. I believe it's true for you. I believe that wherever you go, you are a walking, refreshing station representing the word speaker, God himself. And you have an opportunity, even in small moments, to speak beautiful words. And imagine for a second if a movement of students rose up. And said, we are going to choose to speak words of refreshing even to our teachers just to say, thank you for what you do. Thank you for the difference you make in our world. And all of a sudden, they have four more years of teaching when they thought this was their last semester because you brought about a sense of refreshing. Think about something as simple as an upperclassman telling a freshman, you're going to make it. I felt like I was going to die second semester too, trust me. You're going to make it. Oh my goodness, I was falling apart. I needed to hear just a simple word that brought a simple sense of refreshing. I mean, imagine if we as parents believed that and understood that we have the power to bring refreshing into our kids' worlds by speaking words over them. This is what God says about you. This is the hope I have in you. This is the potential I see in you. Especially when their faces are crusty and they're not behaving well, that's the place where life and joy is most necessary. That's the place in which we want to see newness and freshness grow. Imagine if parents, we were more intentional in just saying, my home is going to be a refreshing station and things are going to be blossoming to life because I'm here and I'm going to choose to speak words that bring refreshing. I don't know what your home or your school or your office is like because you're there, but what I do know is Solomon would say to you, things should be growing out of broken places in your office, at your home, because you are there and you are intentionally speaking words 
that affirm, words that refresh, especially in a world right now where words are being used to just slaughter each other if the church arose with something fresh and life-giving. Then Solomon gives us a, a few practical ways that are words of power to bring life. We'll look at one as we, as we wrap. Look at verse 5. It says, it's not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. I think he's speaking here about the power to advocate. The power to advocate. That our words have unspeakable power to advocate for the oppressed. And to bring about a newness of freedom and a newness of joy in their world. A newness of joy in their Spaces. Solomon is saying, listen, when you see someone in a less advantageous position being mistreated by someone more privileged or more powerful, your words have the power to bring refreshing by advocating. When injustice occurs around you, you can lend your words to help bring vitality and freedom to those Situations. It's really interesting. Solomon has no particular interest in whether or not you successfully fix the situation. That's not his concern. That's not the concern necessarily of the scriptures. The concern is that you raised your voice and you leveraged the power of your words to attempt to bring relief for a person who is being unjustly treated. Be a stream of justice for the mistreated, and you all have the power. If you are wise, he says, you will understand that your words have the power to break things so that life can come rushing anew. And what's so striking about his words is, is the implication that silence is not an option. Literally, Solomon would say, oh, silence is not even a thing. When injustice occurs around you, when people are being hurt or mistreated or abused around you, you always say one thing or another. You always side with the oppressor or the oppressed. Your silence speaks volumes and even your silence speaks for one side or the other. Your silence isn't really a thing. It is just taking a side. You are going to be partial to the oppressed or you're going to be partial to the oppressor. And Solomon says it is never good to side with the oppressor. It is never good to side with the abuser. So mom, when your husband mistreats the kids and you stand by silently, Your silence is a statement in the favor of injustice. Now, can you fix the situation all by yourself? No, in fact, it might be a risky thing to try and navigate wisely. What do I do? What do I not do? But silence is choosing a side. And Solomon would say, you have the power to raise your voice and say something to someone to say this cannot continue. There is power to bring life and newness and freshness For your kids in a situation like that, when you at school see, you know, this kid being picked on and this kid being bullied, especially in the schools now, the thing is burning. Like, oh, burn. 
you know, and a bunch of people gang up on this kid and they just verbally abuse him. And it's usually a group. Solomon is saying, do you know that the wise thing to do is to leverage the power of your words to say something, to break that cycle, even if not to them, to go say something. And I love the fact that we now have channels of reporting that can allow us to invite strength in numbers to deal with some of those things. But what Solomon would say is, did you know that you have the power to bring life into the world of that kid who's being mistreated at school by refusing to be silent because silent is just choosing the side of the oppressor in that situation. It's powerful. And oh, if the church rose up and used this heavenly weapon of our words to let the bully know, to let the oppressor know, we for one will not stand. For it, we for one will not be silent in the face of oppression. Let people lump us however they will or categorize us politically however they want. The question is, how does God categorize us? That's really the question. And do my words in the situation mimic his words about the situation? In which case, I'm fine because Jesus stepped in and Jesus often sided with the abused and he sided with the weak and he sided with the minority and he was called all kinds of names. And it's like, eh, whatever. So be it. I have come not to please a bunch of people, but to do the will of my father and to speak not what I want to say, but to speak his words. And imagine if there was a movement of people in the church who said, now we're going to leverage the power of our words to mimic the words of our powerful father in the earth. The things that would start to come to life, the chains that would start to be broken. I'm not sure, by the way, but somewhere along the line, Christianity became a super safe religion. Yeah, I would, but it's risky, and, you know, it could get messy, and you never know, and, you know, my career and stuff. But isn't the very gospel that saves us risky? I mean, why should the, the word have gotten out of heaven to put on flesh and, and come into you know, the whole sin and death bullying us. I mean, why didn't Jesus just leave us? Like, hey, you guys are being oppressed and you deserve it, which is the new line of the Christians. They deserve it, though. Didn't they earn it? I love that Jesus didn't do that. He stepped out of the comfort of heaven and took great risk and came, and the word spoke on flesh and took great risks to enter into our space. And all of a sudden, a movement of people with power to advocate got safe. I'm confused. And I'm sure the angels are more confused than I am. How are you helping to break the chains and bring joy where you see oppression in the world around you? Because when you say nothing about injustice, you are taking sides with the wicked. And Solomon would say there's never a time for that. Ah, Solomon says we have the power in our words to alienate. We have the power to, to judge. We have the power to divide. He says a number of other key things in this chapter of the Proverbs, which I would invite you and encourage you uh, to spend some time looking at and Reading, But Proverbs 18, 21, and even as the band comes on out to close us, the tongue, he says, Proverbs 18, 21, 
has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who treat words as a powerful and delicate thing, letting those words reveal who we are, letting those words refresh the people around us, letting those words advocate for those around us. He says those people who treat words as delicate and powerful will reap life. There is power in our words if we would treat them as powerful and not as something careless. Um, and it's also interesting that um, our whole eternity is a matter of words. I find that so compelling. Like there's a literal sense when you read Proverbs 18:21 that there is the power of life and death in the tongue, in the words we express. Have you ever stopped and thought about the fact that where you spend your eternity is a matter of your words expressed? It really is. It has to do with what are you going to say about Jesus? That's really how my eternity is determined. Am I going to call him Lord and call him Savior and say I'm a sinner who needs your grace and who needs your forgiveness? Or am I going to say, hey, he was just a guy. Nice guy, good guy to sing about. It's amazing that what you say with your words literally has the power of life and death in it. And for some of us this morning, we've never said the words, Jesus is Lord. We've never said the words that I surrender. We've never said the words that, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you change the well in me? Because I know, even just based on the things I say, it is broken and needs to be renewed. Even as we sing, we want to just give you the opportunity um, to respond. We're going to have, as, as we usually do, elders who are in the room and small group leaders, if you guys during this song would come to the front just to give people um, someone to talk to, someone to pray with. If you need to say the words, Jesus is Lord, there are people who would love to say it with you and agree with you in this space. But for some of you, you may sit in the space and say, words, words, I've lived under the heavy weight of words spoken over me and I need the, the ultimate word sayer to break those words that have cast a shadow over me. I would encourage you to come and pray and we will speak words to our Father and ask Him to speak words that break words spoken over you. And maybe for some of you, you realize you've spoken words over your kids or you've spoken words um, in other places that you need to be freed from, need to be forgiven from. Come on up and, and pray with somebody. For some of us, maybe we've held back our words when we could have spoken words to bring help. Encourage you to come and pray. And I want to say this really quickly, by the way. If you're in a situation where you know something is happening and you just feel like it's wrong and I've got to say something and I've got to get some help, would encourage you to come and say those words to somebody so together we can figure out what it looks like to leverage our words for the sake of somebody who's being hurt or somebody who's being abused, someone who's being oppressed. Because we want to be a movement of people who see life springing wherever we go because we are His Word being carried with refreshing. Why don't we stand? Why don't we sing? Leaders, if you'd please come to the front so that our folks can have someone to pray with.